Well, ladies and gentlemen, good evening and welcome to the latest event of the International Humanitarian Law Project, which on this occasion we're delighted to be co-hosting uh, with the Embassy of Argentina. Um, for those of you I haven't met before, I'm Christopher Greenwood, one of the professors of international law here at the LSE, and I'd like to extend a very warm welcome not only to our own students but also to our visitors on this occasion. Uh, can I first of all just deal with a boring practical arrangement? If you have a mobile phone, would you be kind enough to switch it off? Uh, even if they are on silent, uh, they interfere, I'm afraid, with the um, microphone system. And uh, that can be particularly distracting, especially in a lecture of this kind. Now, the first thing I'd like to do is to express the great pleasure of the LSE and of the International Humanitarian Law Project in particular the fact that we are able to host a lecture on this important subject. Only a few years ago, comparatively speaking, Latin America was in an extremely bad way as far as human rights were concerned. I had a graphic illustration of that myself when I was instructed as a barrister to appear against General Pinochet in the case in the House of Lords here uh, exactly 10 years ago. The transformation that has happened in recent years is absolutely remarkable and is an enormous tribute to the respect for human rights and the determination to uphold human rights of the governments which have come to power in Argentina and its neighboring countries in the last few years. And as an important part of that whole process of upholding human rights is the work of forensic anthropologists such as our guest lecturer this evening, Licenciado Silvana Turner. And on behalf of the LSE, I would like to welcome Silvana very cordially indeed. Forensic anthropology is one of the essential building blocks of any attempt to bring the perpetrators of human rights abuses in the past to justice. The forensic anthropologist, as one commentator once said, is there to speak for those who are no longer able to speak for themselves. It is perhaps one of the most important, if least often mentioned, parts of the criminal justice process. And so it is an enormous pleasure this evening to welcome Silvana Turner, who is one of the key members of the Argentine Forensic Anthropology Team, an independent NGO. But it is not my privilege to introduce her. That privilege belongs to my co-host this evening, um, whom I would like to thank for, for organizing this evening's event and for agreeing to sponsor it with us. Uh, that is uh, His Excellency, and I, please forgive me if not being a Spanish speaker, I garble the pronunciation of your name, sir. His Excellency, Senor Enrique Ferradiera. Uh, and I, it's to him I now give the floor. Thank you very much. Thank you. Good evening. Thank you for, to all of you for, for being here tonight. And thanks to the LSE. Uh, Humanitarian Law Project for coordinate, co-hosting and coordinating, or hosting and coordinating this event with us. And uh, we, we have the honor of having here Professor Greenwood uh, chairing this lecture. And I would like to take this opportunity to congratulate him for his uh, election as a member of the International Court of Justice. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, next month, as some of you may know, uh, Argentina will, will be celebrating 25 years of democracy. Of, since the return of our democratic institutions. And for that reason, a few months ago, we, we were thinking uh, at the embassy uh, which will be the best way to, to commemorate that, that important date, that important event. And perhaps 
for some of you it's a kind of it's kind of strange to, to commemorate democracy when it should be something normal. It should be a way of life in Western countries, basically. Uh, in America, you don't see Americans commemorating 20 or 25, 50 years of democracy. Basically, they, they celebrate democracy in each election through their votes. Uh, if you, we are trying to do the same, but uh, in our case, if you read an Argentine history book, you will see that uh, reaching 25 years of uh, Democracy interrupted uh, with no interruption at all, at all is uh, is a kind of record for us. So uh, we should celebrate that that, that event. Uh, for that reason, we thought about organizing or co-organizing with some local institutions such as the GLSE two uh, different events. Today we we, we have here uh, Silvana, who is going to give a presentation about the work carried out by this important institution, the Argentine Forensic Anthropology Team, a very well-known and recognized uh, human rights NGO. And next week, we are going to have the second event, uh, which basically the idea is to, to show a, a film or, doc or documentary uh, showing the, the work or explaining the work of another important organization for Argentina, uh, which is called Las uh, Abuelas de Plaza de Mayo, Grandmothers of Plaza de Mayo. So you are all invited to, to attend also that event that is going to take place next Monday. Um, but now we are here, and it's my time to, to introduce Silvana uh, and her, her work. Uh, so it's with great pride that I would like to, to welcome Silvana Turner to London and to, to, this, to this venue. Uh, the organization Silvana represents, as I said, the Argentine Forensic Anthropology Team has gone throughout these 25 years national and international recognition for the thoroughness, professionality, and experience with, with which they carry on their work. Uh, many times we have heard here in the, in the UK uh, that uh, we, the return of our democratic institutions 25 years ago was basically a byproduct or as a result uh, of the Falkland Malvinas War in 1982. So it was in some way uh, thanks to Margaret Thatcher. <laughs> But uh, far from the truth, uh, it's undeniable that the military defeat helped lose their tight grip, but the regime collapsed and democracy was won by Argentine society's own merit. The role of human rights organization was crucial. It was their fight that, create the, that created the condition for the return of the, of the democratic process. Today, democracy in Argentina is consolidated. The scar left by the dark period of history has left, as a result, a state policy of respect and promotion of human rights. The fight against impunity demands the truth be sought, justice be done, preparation be made, and memory be preserved. And the Argentine state, in what has become a state policy by governments of all signs, is committed to these purposes. In this sense, the collaboration with human rights NGOs, such as the Argentine Forensic Anthropology Team, is for the Argentine government of the utmost importance. In 2006, the International Convention on Forced Disappearance of Persons became the first universal legal binding instrument that recognizes the disappearance of persons as a crime against, against humankind, and at the same time reaffirms the victim's right to reparation, justice, and truth. Argentina played a decisive role during the negotiation that culminated with the presentation of a text that was adopted unanimously at the United Nations General Assembly. The right to the truth as an autonomous human right is related with the finding and identification of the remains of disappeared persons as well as any other contribution in order to reveal relevant information to that end. 
In this field, the work of the Argentine Forensic Anthropologic Team is extremely valuable. The UN Human Rights Commission, at its 61st session in 2005, approved by consensus resolution 66, presented by Argentina and co-sponsored by 48 countries. It refers to the need of society as a whole to know in detail, in detail what exactly occurred in the past and recognizes the right of family members of the victims of serious human rights violations to know exactly what happened, establishing the facts and identifying those responsible. Silvana, thanks again for being here with us tonight. It is really an honor. She's a full-time member and researcher at the Argentine Forensic Anthropology Team, which she, jo she joined in 1990, while studying anthropology at the Buenos Aires University. She's also assistant lecturer of legal medicine and thanatology at the Medicine School of the Buenos Aires University, a founding member of the Latin American Forensic Anthropology Association, and fellow of the Columbia University and the Brandeis University, both in the US. She has a broad experience in forensic anthropology work related with the, the, the investigation of cases of human rights violations, both in Argentina and internationally. In Argentina, she has been an expert witness in the investigation, exhumation, and analysis of human remains in cases of disappeared persons during the last military government, and current cases of police abuse under investigation by judicial courts. She's carrying carry on forensic investigation in Panama, Brazil, Guatemala, Honduras, Philippines, Mexico, El Salvador, Uruguay, South Africa, and Zimbabwe. In, Bol in Bolivia, she participated in the search of the for the remains of Ernesto Che Guevara at the request of the governmental commission of that country. In Ethiopia, she worked at the request of the Special Prosecutor's Office in Addis Ababa, which is bringing to trial officials of the former government of Colonel Mengitsu. She has participated as forensic expert in the exhumation program in Bosnia and Kosovo at the request of the International Criminal Tribunal for the former Yugoslavia. She was an expert witness for the OES, the Organization of American States, in Colombia. She has acted as a consultant for national and international NGOs, international intergovernmental organizations, national commissions, and governmental organizations. To mention a few, the UN International Criminal Tribunal for the former Yugoslavia, the Office of the Prosecutor, the UN Office of the High Commission for Human Rights, the, o the OAS, the American Association for the Advancements of Science, Amnesty International, Human Rights Watch, Physicians for Human Rights, International Human Rights Law Group, Inter-American Institute of Human Rights, Latin American Federation of Associations of Relatives <coughs> of Disappeared Detainees, Asian Federation Against Involuntary Disappearance, Washington Office for, for Latin America, and the Center for Justice and International Law. So as you can see, we really have here an expert on the field. <laughs> Silvana, Professor Greenwood, the floor is yours. Thank you very much. Good evening, and thank you to the LSE and to the Argentine Embassy in London for this opportunity to share with you this presentation on the application of the forensic anthropology into the investigation of human rights violations, particularly uh, the cases of disappeared committed in Argentina during the last dictatorship. First, I would like to introduce briefly the political context in which these uh, investigations uh, started. Uh, second, uh, some techniques and methods that the team apply 
for these investigations. And finally, the improvements and achievements that uh, after 25 years of democracy in Argentina had been uh, made in terms of the investigation of human rights violations. This is okay. So, as you know, uh, during the 60s, 70s, and 80s, uh, Latin American countries uh, overwent through periods of political violence, mainly caused by uh, the state institutions under control of uh, military regimes. Mm -hmm. That violence, I mean, um, or a key, the human rights organizations uh, play a key role during and after that violence, climbing for truth, justice, and reparation. After those periods, uh, those countries have to face with the investigation of the past. In some cases, as a mechanism of uh, transitional justice, uh, some of the countries create commissions, truth commissions. Uh, those commissions had the mandate to, for a limited period of time, to investigate uh, or establish the facts. Mm -hmm. Some of them were <coughs> the ones that are like in Argentina, in El Salvador, Chile, Guatemala, and Peru. Some of them were national, others were international commissions of inquiry. Mm. Particularly in Argentina, be, uh, during, between 1976 and 1983, uh, the country was ruled by a military regime. And the new, in 1983, the new elected uh, president, Dr. Raul Alfonsin, created a national commission called the, a national, the National Commission on the Disappeared, CONADEP. Mm -hmm. That commission uh, established that at least or, or almost 9,000 people were kidnapped, uh, taken to an illegal detention center, tortured, and in most of the cases, uh, executed uh, without trial. Mm -hmm. uh, also, that commission established as uh, two ways uh, in which the bodies disappeared. One, uh, the, the remains of the, the people, the bodies, were thrown from military aircraft to the rivers or to the oceans. Uh, this uh, operation became known as uh, the dead flight. And uh, another way was to bury the bodies in public cemeteries, in places uh, for called non-names or John Doe's. After the, I mean, in the first years of the democracy in 1984, and with that information, judges uh, ordered exhumations. But these um, procedures had uh, several problems. The forensic system in Latin American countries uh, usually depends on the judiciary, the prosecutor office, or the police. So um, the independence of uh, these experts was uh, questioned. And also, 
another problem is usually the forensic experts are uh, physicians or pathologists. So they are not familiar with uh, bones, with remains. Only, uh, usually, they, they work with cadavers, with soft tissue. And also, they are not familiar with the archaeological techniques to exhume the graves. So uh, during the first exhumations in our country, uh, some of them were made by bulldozers or uh, by uh, cemetery personnel. And of course, the relatives of the victims sadly watch these exhumations, uh, trying to find the, in the hope to find the remains of their loved ones. Uh, because of this, and also because the, the physicians of the experts depends on the judiciary uh, or the state institutions, uh, the families, the relatives were really worried. They, they, they didn't trust on them. Mm -hmm. uh, for all these uh, reasons, in 1984, the CONADEP and the Grandmothers of Plaza de Mayo, another human rights, uh, human rights organization, request the advice of the American Association for the Advance of Science. Uh, and in 1984, for the first time, a commission, a, a group of experts uh, in two fields, basically, genetics, because the grandmothers of Plaza de Mayo were searching for uh, their, their grandsons, the, the, the childs that were kidnapped with their parents or uh, born in captivity. And they were looking for a scientific way to establish the relation uh, among them. And the, and in the field of the forensic uh, anthropology, Dr. Clyde Snow, uh, an expert, an American expert, uh, came to, to Argentina and first he recommended to stop the unscientific exhumations. This is the context in which the, our team, the Argentine forensic anthropology team, was formed basically as an independent, non-governmental, and non-profit organization uh, that uh, focus uh, our activity in to help the relatives of the victims to recover the remains of their loved ones. <coughs> Since then, well, uh, following the chronology in Argentina, uh, after the CONADEP, uh, in 1985, nine members, the highest members of the military, the three military juntas, were were put on trial and condemned uh, to life imprisonment uh, for charges like were murder, kidnap, uh, robbery, illegal detention, and rape. Uh, after uh, some impunity laws in near to 1990, they were free again. But what is important to mention is during those trials, uh, for the first time, uh, evidence, forensic evidence, uh, was presented to a court related with a case of human <coughs> rights violations. 
Well, since then, uh, the team has been working in, in more than, than 30 countries, basically with the same objectives, mm -hmm. to bring evidence to courts or to uh, commissions, uh, assist the relatives of the victims in the right to, to truth and to recover the, the remains of the loved ones, and also collaborate, uh, if it's possible, uh, to train local experts uh, or, or to form teams in countries where uh, it was necessary or is necessary to continue with this uh, work. And in this way, try to, to help in the reconstruction of the recent past. But what is forensic anthropology? Basically, we can define uh, our discipline as a new, I, I should say, a discipline that basically took uh, methods and techniques from the archaeology, the traditional archaeology, the physical anthropology, the, the medicine and other disciplines to apply those knowledge in a legal context. Basically trying, dealing with skeletons or almost skeletonized remains. But the, in the context of human rights of, of human rights violations, this uh, investigations have um, other consequences in, in terms of, of the judiciary, in, ter in terms of psychological, political, social, and economic uh, consequences that we uh, take in account before or start a process of investigation. <coughs> that basically we uh, approach an investigation or, or we divide the, the work in three steps or, or yeah, three steps. Uh, first, the, what we call the preliminary investigation, the historical recovery of the, inform the, the, the recovery of the historical information through documents, written sources, or uh, oral sources, testimonies. Mm -hmm. The second stage is the archaeological uh, work mm -hmm. to recover, uh, applying the techniques of the traditional archaeology, not only the remains, but also the associated evidence, mm -hmm. trying to, to analyze the crime scene mm -hmm. as a crime scene. And well, and then the laboratory analysis, which uh, basically study uh, the remains and the associated evidence to uh, establish, if it's possible, the identity of the victim and the cause of death. Well, in the case of Argentina, uh, the country was divided uh, in different zones in terms of uh, with, with military responsibility. So it was easy to establish the change of command in the responsibilities regarding the, the crimes committed. And also, uh, there were more than 300 uh, clandestine detention centers that we could map and link 
with the public cemeteries on the same areas. Mm -hmm. So during the preliminary investigation, in the case of Argentina, uh, we had uh, not only that sources, but also the, all the testimony, testimonies coming from the Truth Commission, like the CONADEP, uh, the statements from the trials, mm, uh, cemetery books that shows the entrance of cadavers during those years to that areas, to that NN or, or John Doe's areas. And during 1976 and 1978, specifically, we saw that that population grow uh, and most of them were young people with a violent cause of death. So we assume that probably uh, they were the, the disappeared. Other sources, of course, sometimes it's possible to, to obtain military sources or classify documentation that also uh, helps to, to improve the information and uh, as these intelligent reports, for instance. And uh, press. You know, uh, sometimes uh, also the, the press, uh, we can take information from uh, different uh, sources, like, uh, like in this case, La Opinion, which is uh, uh, one of the press that is available in, in Argentina. Uh, the media uh, usually during those years describe uh, military or police procedures and we can obtain information without names but information about a date or a description of the event. The collection, uh, as I said, of uh, preliminary, during the preliminary information also uh, uh, we count with the written sources, but also with uh, oral sources. Uh, basically testimonies, testimonies from witness, from basically uh, relatives of victims, sometimes uh, um, perpetrators. Uh, and in the case of the relatives of the victims, uh, the kind of information that, that they bring us is not only about the event, the, but also the physical information about the victim, which is uh, important at the moment that we try to identify the remains that, uh, that we recover. So uh, it's important to establish uh, a relationship of trust and confidence with them. They are also, uh, when, when it's possible to apply DNA tests, uh, we need the, if they want to, uh, a blood sample to those uh, to do those uh, testing procedures. So during and also uh, we, what we usually do is to 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 let them know and to respect and to to accept the, their. Uh, dubs, the the questions, and, and involve them in the whole procedure of the investigation, and to let them participate 
during that process, which is something that usually uh, doesn't happen in the context of uh, uh, the forensic system. Another information that the communities uh, usually have is about the the grave sites. They are the ones that, in most of the cases, guide us to uh, the places where uh, the graves uh, couldn't be. Of course, all this, the information that we gather from the preliminary investigation is uh, organized in databases uh, depending on the objectives of the investigation, considering the type of information that we, uh, we have obtained, and, uh, and also security uh, issues. And the second stage of the process is the proper archaeological work mm, that basically applies the, the traditional techniques that are used to exhume uh, or to work in an archaeological site. And uh, in, uh, we work as uh, the, the area as a crime scene. Mm. The minimum, usually um, uh, the team, uh, the field team, is formed by uh, physician, anthropologists, archaeologists, uh, sign prim investigator, um, planimetry if it's necessary, also photographers, and the security, of course, of the site is something to take into account. Remains uh, or graves can be found in, in many different context and ways, no? It could be a superficial recovery, like in this picture from Guatemala. Could be a, a, a grave, a market, like in a cemetery, for instance, or a common grave, an unmarked grave in an open place, or under constructions or <coughs> other structures, just to show a few cases. Uh, could be a, a mass grave with articulated uh, remains, but also unarticulated uh, remains mixed, like in this case, this disposal of bones in Argentina. The first, uh, the first um, thing to consider is to try to apply all the information and techniques uh, available to search for graves. There are some non-intrusive techniques like that are that is possible to 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 apply, like the existence of uh, aerial pictures or satellite pictures, uh, geophysical techniques to search for graves. Basically, what we are looking for is for a change uh, in the layers of the soil. A change uh, in the color or in the compactation of the soil that is produced when a grave uh, or a hole is made. The work, I mean, uh, the, what we do is to expose all the remains and the evidence, working, as you see uh, in this picture. Uh, from outside the grave and uncovering all the evidence that we that we found. The archaeology techniques 
allow us to to recover small elements that maybe are going to be really important at the moment, like in this case, to establish the cause of death. Uh, small fragments of bullets, or metal fragments, coins sometimes also are important. Uh, well, or in this picture, as you see, uh, rape or a rope in the neck that is also an evidence about the cause of death. Uh, if we are working with bulldozers or with personnel, uh, cemetery personnel, of course, uh, everything is mixed and removed and it's not possible to see the whole scene in a proper manner. Because the, this specific stage of the work is, is a one-way process. You cannot put the evidence back to the place it was. That uh, is why it's important to record uh, everything, document it with pictures, video, uh, taking measurements with a total station like in this picture, or manually uh, using devices like metal <coughs> detectors, for instance. Uh, and basically the work in, in, in a mass grave, uh, the techniques that we apply are the same. Of course, uh, it's a situation much more complicated, but the, the techniques or, or the idea is to expose level by level all the evidence, document it, and then uh, proceed to the proper exhumation. Uh, and in, in that moment, it's important to consider the proper way to package, to transport, and to deposit. The, the evidence, and uh, most of all, to keep the, the, the chain of custody mm? from the field to the lab. Mm? At the lab, uh, the, we, I mean, after the field work, of course, uh, the expert produced a report on the work that had been done, and uh, the remains and the evidence arrived to the, to the lab. Uh, the team usually uh, at the lab is formed by uh, um, a physician, anthropologist, odontologist, radiologist, and other disciplines that help depending on, on the characteristic of the case. Ballistics, for instance. The first questions are if, first of all, if there are human remains, if they are of forensic interest, how many individuals and then, of course, the identity and the cause of death. As you see in this picture, sometimes it's not so easy to establish the, if they are human or how many individuals are represented. Like in this case, uh, the fragmentation caused by the, the, these remains bones were buried, uh, burned. So, uh, then there are uh, some preparation uh, uh, tasks that must be done before the analysis. Uh, X-rays, if it's necessary to search for metal fragments, uh, and uh, taking samples for DNA anal analysis. This is something that must be done before uh, wash, which is the following, uh, wash or clean the, the, the evidence, the non-biological evidence, and the, re the remains, just with brush and, and water. Then the reconstruction of fragments. Sometimes uh, the fragmentation of the remains uh, doesn't allow us to see, like in this case, an exit wound. 
produced by a bullet. No, we put together the fragments to reconstruct all the, the, the remains, and then we articulated in the anatomical position label, and uh, and if it's necessary, if it's, there are non-biological, biological evidence that should be should be transferred to the expert that is in charge of that type of uh, evidence, like ballistics, for instance. Uh, what is it, it should be done at this moment. Basically, what we can, with the kind of information that we obtain from the studies are the, the sex, the age, the stature, the ancestry. Those are general features, no? the, the biological profile of the person. But if we want to identify uh, through anthropological techniques, we need other uh, specific char characteristic of that in individual, like the odontological records, for instance, pathologies, all fractures, uh, whatever physical information at the level of the bones that is uh, particularly of that person. Mm? Like this picture, uh, surgeries. Mm? Uh, as I said, the odontological record is, is like a fingerprint in, a, in an skeleton. And the, the identification process basically is the comparison between the information that we gathered during the preliminary investigation about the victim and the circumstances, and the information that we obtained through the study of the remains. Sometimes, unfortunately, it's not possible through anthropological techniques identify uh, because there is no information about that person or because the the preservation of the remains is, is not good enough to, to see if some features of some specific characteristics, or, or just because there is no, in, there is no particular information uh, regarding that case. Hmm? So uh, during the 90s, uh, basically, uh, uh, the DNA te techniques uh, have improved a lot. We started to use DNA for identification of, of remains at the beginning of the 90s with good results and because uh, the new techniques allow us to obtain DNA from a fragment or a piece of bone. From a fluid or, or, or blood, it, it was a technique that had been developed uh, since a long time ago. But from bones, it, it's a, a new development development that allow us to, to proceed or to produce identification applying the genetics. Not always it's possible, sometimes it's not possible to recover DNA from bones because of this preservation of the remains or because of contamination issues too, but it's a, a very important way to, to identify if there is no an anthropological uh, possibility. And of course, the cause of manner of death. Uh, usually we distinguish the, the pre-mortem uh, fractures, uh, like we saw in the previous picture, with the, um, the lesions or fractures produced around the moment of death. Mm -hmm. Like in this picture, you see, we can describe the, the numbers and, and the location, the trajectory, the sequency of these uh, gunshot wounds. Mm -hmm. uh, with all this uh, information, the, the expert produced 
uh, report that uh, is presented to the judge or to the author uh, authority uh, in charge of the investigation. But uh, well, coming back to, to Argentina, uh, since the after, I mean, the, the impunity lost during the 80s, uh, and most of all, most of all, because of the the, the fight and, and the claims of the human rights organization, during the 90s there were uh, a lot of improvements in terms of uh, reparation laws, mm -hmm. and in 2003, uh, with the, the during the, with the new administration, President uh, Dr. Nestor Kirchner. Uh, the, the Supreme Court finally, in 2005, uh, established the unconstitutionality or, or overturned the impunity laws. And the trials uh, were open uh, again, uh, criminal uh, proceedings. Well, now, uh, and, and other um, symbolic preparation to uh, also it's, uh, it's uh, something that is going on now, uh, like the, the reopen of uh, clandestine detention centers as remembrance of memorial places. Mm -hmm. But particularly in the case of our work, uh, during this almost 25 years of work in, in of the team in Argentina, we exhume around of uh, more than 1,000 uh, cases, we could uh, identify 300 of them, and we are now working uh, in, in a project that is actually going on now, and we are expecting results from uh, what we call the, the Latin American Initiative uh, for the Identification of the Disappeared, because it's also a project that is being, uh, going on in Peru and in Guatemala. And basically what we are trying to, to, to do is to do DNA test, massive DNA testing. We obtain, until the moment, we, and we've sent to the DNA labs 6,000 samples of blood from relatives of the victims and 600 samples of bones to compare in a massive way. And this uh, campaign that we are conducted with the support of the national government is going to continue next year and probably uh, the, the follow. Mm. Well, I, I uh, would like to finish uh, showing this picture of a restitution in Argentina. Uh, has been a long process and, and 25 years, during these 25 years, there were a lot of improvements, but still uh, there is a lot to do in terms of truth, uh, justice, and reparation. And uh, most of the relatives of the victims uh, are still waiting for the recovery of the remains of their loved ones, and we believe is a process not only about the recovery of uh, the history of a person or one person history it's but also about a collective history as well thank you
thank you very much indeed. Uh, I think we all found that most interesting and stimulating, and I confess that the picture of the casket at the end is one that will remain with me for quite some time. Um, now, questions, ladies and gentlemen. If I could ask you, please, to, to keep two simple ground rules in mind. First of all, please begin your question by telling us who you are. Please do this even if you are very famous, because you may not be famous to the people sitting behind you who cannot recognize you. Uh, the second thing is, there is no roaming microphone in this room. Uh, we are recording what is said, but because the recorder will not pick up questions from the floor, if you could speak as loudly as possible, I will then repeat the question back to you uh, so that uh, it's there on the record. Um, who would like to go first? Well, may I, in that case, use the chairman's privilege, Silvana, of asking you a question? Mm -hmm. I'm a lawyer, therefore, to me, this process inevitably ends up at some point in a court. What has been, how have you found the whole process of explaining um, the processes you've just described to a judge uh, in a courtroom environment? Well, yes, uh, yeah. It's sometimes it's what well, I, I didn't mention, bit, but uh, we also try to to explain or to do not training but introduce the the anthropological field to judges and lawyers because uh, usually we interact a lot of course and when you present uh, and sometimes they also don't really know about these techniques and what they can expect expect from us so it's really important to to be in touch and to and to try to let them understand in one way what they expect from us, what they are, because now uh, everything supposed to be solved by DNA, for instance, and, and it's not really like that. So uh, that's why we try to 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 know uh, what are they expecting from us, and also tell them what they can expect. So the communication among lawyers and and experts must be really because uh, that guarantee an understanding no? and, and, and also because uh, sometimes we try to, to produce uh, reports that uh, not so technical mm -hmm. so or at least the conclusions and of course if there is it's necessary to to, to go in detail uh, we'll do it but it's important to, to transfer the information in, in, in an understandable and a proper way. Yes, I can see that. One of the first things to understand about sci any sort of scientific process in a courtroom environment is what are the limits of that process. Yes, the lady over there. Thank you. So, sorry. May I, I'll just repeat the question for the record, and in case anybody over here couldn't hear it. Uh, the question is, to what extent do the perpetrators cooperate with you in the interview process? Well, no, it's an exception. In general, it's not the, the common situation, not in Argentina, and, and the same happened in, in most of the countries. And we really, and also it's 
very difficult to trust in those kinds of informations, no? But, uh, but could it be a source of information too? But it's not what happened in the practice usually. Hmm? Mm, it's not surprising. Yes, sir. There's the Don Henderson Institute of War and Peace Reporting. I'm curious as to what role the media played in helping to, to literally find where the bodies are buried. And also, how was the coverage of the process of your investigations? Right. The question there is, what role does the media play in helping you to identify, for example, a site where bodies might be found? And secondly, what is the coverage in the media of your investigations? Well, it depends a lot of the case, because sometimes because we are, we are involved in a judiciary procedure, it's not possible to allow the press to, to, to stay during the exhumation, for instance. And of course, if they are, uh, like I show, press uh, information from the media, we, we try to, to obtain all the information uh, as is possible, no? But the, and at the beginning of our work in Argentina, we were a little bit worried about the preservation of the sites, so that's why we, we preferred not, to, I mean, just to, to keep a kind of low profile to to preserve the the site. Now the the and depends a lot on the context and the case that you are uh, working on. Uh, now, well, the 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 work of the team uh, it's known, and and if it's possible, we allow to the, the press to to not participate but be present. But. Regarding the, we have a confidential, an agreement of confidentiality with the relatives of the victims. So we are not the ones who, who tell to the press the history of a case. Uh, if the relative uh, wants to to do it, uh, it's, it's up to to them. No, but uh, if we are in a judiciary procedure, we cannot uh, usually talk with uh, the press regarding the specific uh, characteristic of that investigation. Huh? Thank you. Yes, the gentleman over here. The question is, what happens after the identification of the remains of a victim? Uh, do you uh, maintain contact with the victim's family? Do you offer any form of support to the victim's family? Yes, well, in, in the Argentina cases, I, I mentioned them like, as a separate case because we are based in Argentina. It's totally different than when you are working for a few months in a foreign country. In, in those cases, we work with local NGOs, and there are uh, some experience of uh, social psychologists working with during the process of the investigation, during and after the exhumations, and they cover that aspect of the uh, of, of I mean that uh, of the work. But in the case of Argentina, usually we develop a, a long relation with the relatives because the identification process doesn't occur from one day to another. So they usually uh, come to our office and, and there are different interviews. Uh, so it's a, it's a long process and depends a lot of the case. No? In some cases, they, after the identification uh, or the restitution, still come back uh, to talk. 
And as I said, in Guatemala and in Zimbabwe, for instance, we've been working with uh, social psychologists mm, to, to help us in, in, with this aspect. Mm. Thank you. Did you have a question? two questions there. The first is, to what extent, if at all, did the team feel threatened in any of the environments it worked in? And secondly, who pays the expenses of these obviously substantial investigations? Yes, uh, sure. Uh, well, in, in Argentina, I mean, at the beginning of, I mean, during the 80s, of course, we, uh, the situation, the political and social situation was uh, probably a little bit different than, than now, no? in terms of uh, security. Or, and we were younger, and we were starting. And so we probably felt uh, a little bit more worried uh, than now uh, about security issues. No? But most of all, not for us, but for the investigations. And we are a non-governmental organization, so um, in terms of uh, so, um, sources funding, uh, we uh, present uh, or we receive money from grants from different agencies, cooperation agencies outside Argentina, uh, in Europe and, and in the States. That's the way in which we fund our, our work. Uh, working outside um, Argentina in terms of um, of security matters, we, as foreign experts, we know that we we are going to be there for a short period of time. So our worries goes to the local organization working with us and the local experts that are working with us. That's why sometimes it's possible to train people, and sometimes because of security reason, also it's not possible to leave people doing this work after we left. Mm -hmm. uh, and the mechanism in terms of funding is, is the same. We present projects to, to agencies that finance uh, organizations like us related with human rights and, and science. That's the way that we, how we have been working. And as an independent organization, uh, we, we, um, we could continue in a permanent way with the work. No? Of course, sometimes the obstacles in Argentina <coughs> were more the bureaucracy, for instance, no? the, 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 the bureaucracy and the state administration and the judiciary. Those were the type of, of limits that we confront, not security in terms of uh, a possible damage to us. Yes, I think the notion of bureaucracy getting in the way will resonate with people from a great many countries. So. Yes, madam.
thank you. The, the question is in relation to the way in which truth commissions and other such bodies tend to determine which violations they will investigate. Uh, do you ever find there is a conflict between what you actually find and what the mandate of the truth commission or other investigative body is to, to seek out? And if so, how do you resolve that conflict? I hope that does justice to your question. Well, in our experience, working not only because truth commission usually well is one mechanism, no, like transitional justice. We've been working also for um, tribunals and 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 adult tribunals, or but particularly what happened in our experience is it's not. Uh, such a problem really because what the commission after the, the mandate after the period uh, usually they produce a, a report and the, they recommend they, they make recommendations to continue with those procedures uh, for instance so, and it's something that we we were usually it's also our recommendation no? because what happened, well, in the case of Argentina, well, after the Truth Commission, there were a, a tribunal. But, but in a lot of cases, that in terms of justice, uh, nothing else is addressed, no? no? Nothing more happened. So our worry or, or our recommendation goes to uh, find the ways to continue with the work, no? And they were not... Uh, contradiction uh, between the kind of uh, uh, evidence that we used to, to find and the mandate of the commission because, because basically they are uh, investigated uh, murder, uh, I mean, uh, crimes uh, related with, uh, with the life. Huh? Uh, so, so when they ask to the team to, to cooperate is because the, test, the testimonies uh, shows evidence about uh, this type of, of crimes. Mm -hmm. Okay, now time is beginning to get pressing. I've seen th four, five, six questions. Very brief, please. I will take as many as possible. First of all, the gentleman at the back there, and then the lady sitting immediately behind Professor Chinkin. Yes, the question is, when and how did you succeed in recovering any of the remains of those who were thrown into rivers or into the sea? Well, unfortunately, it's really almost impossible to recover remains from rivers and, and, and of, of course, the, the sea or ocean. Uh, what happened, particularly in Argentina, and we could scientifically prove the existence of those dead flies, is because uh, during the 70s, uh, there was evidence, I mean, the, the, the bodies arrived to the coast mm, uh, in some cases. So uh, the, those bodies were recovered from, from, from the coast and buried. So what we could recover uh, was mm, those bodies from the cemeteries, not from the sea. But for the type of fractures that they have, uh, those features were compatible with a, a thrown from a high, um, I can say, or, yeah, from, so uh, we can say with the testimonies 
plus the information recovered from those uh, uh, analyses, we, we, we can say that it was proved, scientifically proved, the existence of the dead flies. But it's almost impossible, unfortunately, to recover uh, remains uh, from the ocean and from the sea. Some search uh, were made in, in small lakes, for instance, but with uh, no results, unfortunately. Thank you, madam. What is the, the main changes, the main differences you have noticed in attitudes towards restitution of remains? Yes, well, um, of course the situation has changed a lot in terms of collective experience of, uh, with the restitutions. In, with the families, uh, it's not about time, actually. The, 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 the families, uh, even most of them, at least, no? uh, even how uh, difficult is the process, and they, they still prefer truth than uncertainty. And most of the cases seems like uh, that uh, did occur the day after. No? And or at least they are different between if it's a mother or a father. With uh, cases where the the relative is a, a daughter or a son, so this, the difference are uh, between generations, not the time is uh, basically. In terms of the social uh, impact of these uh, processes, of course, uh, during the 80s or the 90s, uh, the the social and political context was really totally different, and now it's uh, the families are less frightened and and usually there are uh, there is a, a social recognition and symbolic recognition and this is something that for the relatives of course is also uh, placed as a reparation uh, for them no the, the the social recognition that this happened and this happened to them and to the whole society. So right now, uh, the the impact, the social impact is, it's, it, I mean, it's more uh, visible, all this process. And, and, and regarding human rights issues, there is a debate totally different than the one that it was during the 80s. Mm? Now I'm going to take two questions together and then invite Silvana to respond to them. Gentleman sitting at the back by the door. I think you had a question. Mariano from Amnesty International. I would like to ask you how you feel when you do a lot of work, you produce a lot of uh, scientific information, and then nothing happens in court because either there are amnesty laws or more prosecutors don't want to move forward with cases because they are not independent or maybe intimidated. And how do 
question is, how do you feel and what can you do in a situation where you unearth significant evidence and nothing then happens in court? Now, at the back of the room here. Yeah. Hello, I'm Juan Cristobal from Chile, Master's uh, student of human rights here. Uh, I have a two-point question. Um, have you ever recorded any mistakes in identifying bodies? I'm asking this because... <laughs> I know. Well, I know why. Yeah. question, if I've heard it right, is have you ever recorded enemy states? Yeah. yeah. And secondly, how does your work interact with the concept of the state responsibility of the state itself for such matters as restitution? Okay. Well, uh, regarding the, the, the possibility of justice, uh, well, of, of course, the feeling is, uh, the personal feeling is, is, is frustration. No? We are doing this not only for the families, of course, for truth, for for humanitarian reasons, but also uh, uh, for for justice mm, and reparation. And and as we saw in, in Argentina, no, after 25 years, there were trials during the the 80s, 85, and now 20 years later, those trials are open again. So um, we what we or what can I, I mean, what is important in, in the specific, uh, for us, in terms of our specific work, is to, to work with the same standard procedures. If it's a humanitarian, if it's for humanitarian reasons, or to present evidence to a court. And this is something important to, to, to keep in mind, because if you are applying the, 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 the standard procedures, the international standard procedures, you are allowing the, the possibility that that evidence could be presented maybe in the future into a court. Mm -hmm. uh, this is basically what we, what we do. Mm -hmm. Uh, the contexts are, are, are different. As I say, uh, sometimes, of course, it's not possible to, to, to put the responsibilities on, on trial. Uh, but still, the, 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 the client from, from the relatives and, and the possibility to, let, to, to know the truth and recover the remains, uh, well, it's, it's, it's a, a very important and fundamental reason for for our work and and that's why we we continue working in countries where justice uh, doesn't look possible in the near future mm -hmm. but you never know and regarding the the question about patio 29 it's a it's a famous case in in chile because they were identifications uh, made uh, years ago, and now uh, with the DNA techniques, uh, they find out that uh, some of them were wrong. They were, and those remains were restituted to, to those families. So it was kind of re-traumatized 
them. No, it was really, really controversial. And actually, um, the President Bachelet uh, formed a, a commission. Uh, actually, we, we are part of that commission to, to give advice in terms of uh, what to, to do. Uh, there is, there is uh, now going on a revision of all the cases. And of course, that uh, involved a lot of resources. But what is more I mean, important is the, the negative impact that this uh, had in, in, in the relatives. No? But uh, now all the cases are being uh, studied again but in, by an international commission to try to, to fix the, the mistakes. Now, we've just got time, I think, for one uh, more question. You certainly had one, madam, and I, think that I thought there was somebody else. We'll take both those questions. So if we can start with the lady behind you. Yes, please. No, no, sorry, you, you madam. Yes, please. cooperate or compete with other groups in the field. Would that be a fair summary of it? <laughs> Sir, your question. When you are able to identify uh, the remains of somebody, do you then contact the family? Okay, regarding the, the, the first question, uh, unfortunately there is a lot of work to do for a lot of experts and actually it would be great if it's possible to to improve and to have more people involved in this kind of investigation. So they are experience of cooperation. Uh, teams were putting together, like in the cases of the, ba of the Balkans, for instance, where a lot of experts coming from different countries uh, were working uh, together. So I think it's uh, it's about cooperation. I guess, or, or that should it be. Of course, there are uh, sometimes you, that's why it's important to to establish like the Latin American Association, for instance, which is uh, something that occurred in 2003. No? All the uh, Latin American experts in the field of forensic anthropology create an association uh, to develop standards of procedures, because if you are going to work together, I mean, you, you have to establish uh, coincidences in terms of the procedures that you are going to apply. But I think what is important is to, to, to continue with the, the, with the cooperation, basically. No? Uh, and well, regarding the, the question of the, if we uh, notify the family about the identification, uh, there are different situations. Sometimes we know the family from before the identification. Usually it's what happened. No? We, we start an investigation without knowing uh, if those remains are going to be that specific person and we establish a relation with the relative and after a process, uh, when finally we arrive to identification, we notify them. Mm? But it's already a relation going on. Uh, but it's true that in some cases we arrive to identification first. 
without knowing uh, the relative of the victim. And, and yes, we also, in those cases, uh, we try to approach the family in, in, in the better way possible, no? in, in, in terms to, 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 to notify or to tell them uh, about the identification, maybe in a gradually uh, manner. Depends a lot of the, of the case, no? And, and, and we try in, in the, better situ the, the best situation is to, to know in advance and to have already a relation with, with the relatives. And of course, the psychologists, social psychologists, and there are other disciplines also working to assist uh, the relatives of the victims to receive this kind of information, which is something that we are going to, to do probably at the end of this year or the next year uh, when we are going to be receiving a lot of results from the DNA labs and we're going to have to transfer that information to the relatives and probably some of them uh, we, we don't know them now in terms of a personal kind of relation. No? Right, well, Savannah, thank you. Uh, it's customary at this stage for the chairman to sum up the discussion, but this has been such a very rich discussion it's almost impossible to, to sum it up in a few words. Let me just offer this comment by way of conclusion, that although many societies in recent years have gone through a long debate about what is the appropriate way uh, to close off a period of dictatorship, a period of civil war or violence, and that has shown this tension between those who wish to, to bring the perpetrators of atrocities to justice and those who wish to put the past behind them and make a fresh start. I think one of the perhaps most important things to keep in mind is that a society which has been through a period of trauma cannot in reality expect to face the future if it is not prepared to face up to its past. And an essential element of facing up to that past is the kind of patient, painstaking detective work which Silvana has described in this excellent presentation that we've heard this evening. Um, I'd like to invite you to join me in thanking a number of people to thank Louise Aramatsu and Heather Harrison-Dinnis from the International Humanitarian Law Project who have organized the lecture, to thank the Embassy of Argentina, uh, the Chargé d'Affaires and his team who've been here this evening uh, for all that they have done, including, I should tell you, to whet your appetites, uh, providing some hospitality afterwards, which I will say more about in a moment. But above all, to thank you, Silvana, for a most interesting and educative talk, and it is one of the many ways in which it impressed me that speaking in what is not your first language, you spoke without any notes whatsoever. Um, as somebody who likes to speak without notes himself, but only ever does it in the tongue he's spoken since birth, uh, I'm enormously impressed, and we are, I think, all of us, very, very grateful to you indeed. Thank you.